The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the U.S. Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we're back for our second episode this week as we're joined by the author of Maximizing Playoff Odds, a Baltimore Orioles newsletter, which is available through Substack, and the writer of the Top 30 Baltimore Orioles Prospects Report for Baseball America, which appears in the 2022 Baseball America Prospect Handbook. Uh, He is John Mioli. John, how are you? I'm well. Three-timers club. Let's go, boys. (laughs) Yep, you and just one other guy, Stephen Loftus. So, limited group. There's a t-shirt or something. He's going to lap me come draft time. I'm sure it's going to be a <laughs> runaway by by the next time we talk in the summer. Well, either way, limited group, and you've surpassed Eric Garfield, Matt Blood, and Connor Newcomb. So, passing a good group there. Good, good, good. It's, it's good to be looked up to, <laughs> especially by those guys. So, Looking at really at the top 30 as a whole for the Orioles right now, where do you think the Orioles farm system stands? I, I think it's in a pretty good spot. I think that what I um, – this year specifically, different from last year's or, – or, or not last year's, last year's, was how few pitchers there were compared to, to years past, and that's not necessarily a knock on the pitchers that are there. It's just a reflection of how they've drafted so many position players. Um, there's been – a ton of you know talented college bats. Those are the kinds of guys who are are easy to rank highly in these dra- in these rankings. So I think that think that the difference um, and, and it kind of explains where the system is. There just aren't a lot of pitchers um, until uh, until you get deeper into the list. That just speaks to what the Orioles' priorities have been over the last couple of years. Yeah, and speaking of pitchers. Drew Rom, he's a guy who he's pretty young. We started to see a bit of a velocity tick up from him last year, yeah. and, and it showed itself by him having some pretty good results, especially down the stretch run in Double A. Is there more upside with him now that he's sitting like ninety two, ninety three instead of eighty nine, ninety? And it seems like his off speed stuff's pretty good too. I think so, and I think that I think that you know, there's always the you know. Orioles have seen both things happen, you know, pretty truthfully. I think you can you can say John is a little bit of a different animal. He's a college guy. He was around forever. Was, you know, he was, you know, he had pretty much gotten to where he was going to get, and he got better. Um, I think an app comparison would be someone like Bruce Zimmerman. Was, you know, a couple of ticks of velocity really made a huge difference because he had all the reps. He knew how to pitch. He just was able to kind of – Amplify what he did and, and improve it in that sense, but I also think that I also think Drew Rom is is unfortunately, or you know, and it's just the, the nature of you know what kind of pitcher he started out as. You know, there are, there are lefties who throw in the high eighties who are drafted out of school or or drafted 
a college who need to prove it every step of the way because that's not a, like a typical profile. So I think that he's done. And when you ask about upside being, I think the fact that he's shown he can add velocity, he's shown um, that his, you know, the skills he had while he was throwing, you know, bumping up against Andy and, and topping out around there, I think skills that he had then carrying over is really an impressive thing to uh, to see. I think only get there once you're talking about, uh, uh, you know, a- adding velocity. And I think the fact that he did that and learned the things that he did really, really, really put him in a unique class to organization. Speaking of another pitcher, um, I know we talk about the, you know, all the college hitters and everything at the top of the organization, but, you know, we like to dig deep. We, we like the sleepers here. Um, another pitcher on this list that cracked your top 30 is Kyle Bronovich. I think he's at number 28 on Baseball America's list. Fangraphs has him all the way up at 17. Uh, kind of went largely overlooked last year, and I think you know you look at you look at the fastball velo first and foremost, and it's not really there. So I feel like a lot of people will probably continue to overlook him. But what kind of feedback did you get on Bronovich when you were doing your research for this list? You know, I would put him in a category with a couple other guys. Some of them made the list, and some of them who didn't. Where it's almost like you know you where where people it's kind of same prove it category as those you know pitchability lefties who who are who were um you know, who have to have to show they can every level have to they can get better i'm thinking as you're asking this question about um about something that i talked to david hess about about like up to the minors he was like you know well all you need is a fastball you can you know throw your fastball almost exclusive and get guys out i mean i remember it was zach lothers i'm really rambling but this i feel like it was like zach lothers first Pro star struck out like twelve guys in, in fittings, and it was like a really cold Delmarva, and he threw almost exclusively fastballs. You could do that at that level, and and you're good. Um, you know, you have command of one secondary pitch to to put on high A, and, and then you need to have more than that to pitch well in Double A, and that's you know kind of the the benchmarks that you go up. And you look at somebody like Bernovich, who has you know, little life on his fastball. If it's his breaking ball, like a spike curveball type deal that um. Is it secondary to bring this up as I'm as I'm looking as looking at it? Um, you know that's a pitch that really, yes, yeah, knuckle curveball um, that moves a lot of different ways. I think that it's going to be about him harnessing that and, and and learning, you know, learning to make it do what he wants to do all the time, as opposed to having it do what it does uh, and having that kind of vary from pitch to pitch. I think that you know, I think that a skill like that is really important to have. Now, is there you know, rotation stuff that possibly you can't really write anybody out of the rotation until the team out of the rotation. I think that he has a lot of in his favor, most notably that the Orioles, you know, are pretty invested in that Dylan Bundy trade look good. And he's part of that mix. So we'll go to a listener question here just to build off of this from Vivek. Would you say there's a nice depth of number four and five starters in the current system? I would I would say so. I think that outside of the the big guys, you know, the Grayson Rodriguez, the DL Hall, that's what you're looking at with a lot of the starting pitching prospects that are in the organization. Whether it's guys who are, uh, you know, very very close to the majors and Kyle Bradish, Mike Down, uh, guys who've already been in the majors. You know, I listed them all off on the radio today. I felt it took like forty five minutes. <laughs> Dean Kramer and Bruce Zimmerman, Keegan Aiken, um, you know, as well as Zach Lauther, guys I've talked about. I feel like that is you know where there are opportunities to really fill a role for those guys. And I think that this year, you know, I think this year is going to be where they aren't counted on to be like, you know, rotation savers. Like it would be great if one or two of those guys who, who we've talked about can just, you know, log 140 like workman-like innings. Um, and somebody can seize that role because they don't have to be a guy that you're like relying on to go like, you know, six plus every game. They don't have to be John Means. They don't have to be Jordan Lyles. They don't have to go out there and have sky high expectations like the top prospects are going to. So that I think the answer is yes. Um, I think there might be varying levels of upside lower in the system, um, but we're we're talking about we're more talking about at this point. You know, who can be the guy to complement those top prospects and who can be the guy to be filling in those innings as have a swingman type um, as this as this present season goes forward. So shifting gears and looking at outfielders for a moment, UCL Diaz this year falls to 23rd in the top 30 list. And his struggles at this point are well chronicled with injuries. The fact he was not 
that effective when he was on the field last year. But at your uh, newsletter recently, you took a pretty in-depth look at sort of the ups and downs he's had really since he came into the Orioles farm system. What do you think, other than injuries, is kind of behind his struggles? And is there any hope for him to bounce back a little bit this year? I, I think that there has to be some kind of bounce, whether it's you know, dead count, the dead cat bounce or an actual bounce, like an actual turnaround. I think that I think that there's too much talent there to have it go like this forever. Um, last year was was bad for, for a number of reasons, and I think that, you know, truthfully, I believe I wrote in that though. As he was turning around that, that first full season in Bowie, he was out there with Keith Bodie, the hitting coach, like every single day before B, and they were really, really working hard to to get him to where he wanted to be. And you talk to guys on that Bowie team from 2019, and they credited him for basically carrying them once they got to the playoffs. He was, like, ready to perform when the time came. Um, the problem is is that there's no way to be – Neil Diaz, the guy they traded Manny Machado for anymore. There's just not really an avenue for that to deliver for the Orioles. And, and when you look at the opportunities that are him in the outfield, they're limited. Brandon Hyde gonna gonna say that he wants using Neil Diaz on his bench over like a Ryan McKenna type. I'm I'm not sure he's gonna do that. Is he going to, you know, are the Orioles going to trade Anthony Santana and D Stewart all on one fell swoop so they can play using the LDS in right field every day? Like, I don't think they're going to do that either. So, so performance you know, there are, there are a ton of reasons probably to explain what happened. I think that, I think the health was going to be a big part of it. And I that, I think that there's some natural things in his, in his swing that make it difficult for him to produce consistently. But when it's produced, it's really impressive. I think that, I think that he is, um, you know, I don't think that it's like a hopeless case, but I, I would be very surprised if to that end, this wasn't one of those springs where he's like, you know, all of a sudden it's like the second week of games and he's hit a couple of like, you know, eighth inning home run, and like is like starting to get the buzz going again because it wasn't the case in the past. Definitely knows now that it's the time to get one. Yeah. It's kind of now or never for him. And uh, one of the newer international signings, Anderson De Los Santos, he kind of stands out at number 30 on your list. He had a great year in the DSL. Not really sure what, you know, how to handle the DSL stats. You know, we're yeah. kind of new to the international guys. But uh, what are your thoughts on him, both inside and outside of the organization? What are you hearing? So, so I think he was one where, you know, the stats are obviously what leads you to it. Uh, but but it's, it, when you talk about it, it's more of a traditional um, – you know, it's more of a traditional hall contact profile that needs to be refined, whereas whereas the other prospect, uh, international prospect girls have signed um, in, in that 2021 draft class I, or international class. I never know how to – I don't know what to call them. Um, but but in the recent one before this year, you know, those guys, when you talk about Leo and, and Michael Hernandez, they are lauded for having, you know, plate discipline that's very advanced from what – what is typically expected, uh, you know, of a player um, signed out of Latin America playing in DSL. I think that, you know, De Los Santos is a little more um, aggressive in swing, um, and it works out what he hits because it, he hits it hard and he, you know, hits it for bases and it goes pretty far. Um, but I think that it just kind of speaks to, I think it kind of just speaks to the, you know, the presence of the, of, of the international team. And I think you know, it's the same thing. I think we talked about it for number 10. Um, you know, when you have a cutoff like this, you're like, who do I want represented here? Like, who would be here? Uh, and for number two was Kobe Mayo, and I turned out to be the low man on the totem pole there. <laughs> and, you know, it, I, I'm just glad it wasn't, you know, uh, these other things came out that it wasn't like Dale Toast being like, you know, number 12 and making me look like I lowballed him too. Nice. Um well, how do you decide, kind of switching gears here from the high upside of Anderson De Los Santos, those international guys, too? Um, some of the guys that struggled, we talked about using Diaz already, but like Adam Hall, Jemai Jones, Kevin Smith, too, especially. Um, how do you decide, like, how far you, you drop these players who had those big struggles last year? Um, so, so I kind of, you know, as a big principal, I would say I am very, you know, I'm very understanding of injuries, I know that they happen. I know that, I know that they're just, a, you know, something's, you know, 
there's nothing you can do about it. It's hard to punish someone for a one-off type deal like that. Um, I think, you know, if you're talking about someone who keeps getting hurt, I think that there's a little bit of, you know, there, there's something to build into the kind of the equation for that. somebody like Adam Hall, who, you know, he basically like camp, you know, I believe it was his hamstring that he pulled um, during spring training. He was well enough to play, um, you know, Aberdeen to start season, but without a lot of spring training action and without, you know, the kind of game prep that everyone else had. And all of a sudden they're playing Hudson Valley and, and all these teams, a bunch of guys on like upper nineties and it just, and it's no balls. And all of a sudden you're, you're having, a, I don't know that there's any way to hold the same. I think it's still there. Um, someone like who else we mentioned, Jermaine Jones, some injury in there. I think that, you know, I think that if, if we're being perfectly honest, um, you know, I, I had to win like on the big leagues too. He the got out on him quick. Um, I don't know if it came up with him from the minors, if, if team just realized that, you know, they could jam him inside and they were going to get him out, uh, big leagues. But once they realized it, they, and it was, it was a quick, it was quick, uh, a quick time in the big leagues for him. And I think that, you know, that's a real red flag, but it's also, you know, somebody who came off, you know, a COVID year and changed organizations, had all this stuff and had some physical go along with it. Who are we asked about him? I'm rambling. I think that hit most of them. Really, the only other guy was Kevin Smith. And that's the guy yeah. who we watched him just dominate and buoy. Uh, and then when he got to Norfolk, it was spotty, typical, you know, struggles, adjustments, we'll say, to AAA. But then uh, you made the note there in his blurb, too, that, that I picked up on um, as the season was ending. Less than 50% of the pitches he threw landed for a strike over that final month of the year. Um, yeah. And I think there's also like a little drop in his velo. Um, how do you weigh that with a guy like Kevin Smith, who, you know, there's really not a lot of projection left there with him. He's at AAA and he has the struggles that he have. Um, you know, is that do you take a lot of stock into that or it's just weird timing right now and start fresh in 2022 with him? I think you do. And I think that's where, even though there's a lot of new faces, um, you know, in the organization who are, who are in, in, in prominent roles, I think it's where you develop, you know, a sense of trust and you understand, you know, you understand that people, are, you know, if people don't like somebody, if they, they you know, they're shot or they think they don't have it, like tell you, and, and like they'll ask you not to write it, obviously, but they'll tell you. And, and with Kevin Smith, there wasn't anything like that. I think that, I think that when somebody falls off that steep, having so well at the beginning of the season, um, there's always a reason for it. And I think that, I think that like respecting that reason and understanding that reason and like baking it in. There's a there's a border between like excuse making for these guys and and for you know like a legitimate explanation. And I, that I think that on where it comes to Kevin Smith, I was pretty satisfied with what I heard as to what happened. Not something that he'd ever dealt with before. Um, if you look at his stats, if you look at how he performed early in the season, if you look at why the Orioles acquired him, you know, he's not someone who this would happen to. And I don't think that, I, I don't think they would, you know, have added them to the roster. I don't think if, that they would, you know, have stuck up for him if that if they didn't that whatever happened at the end of last year um was going to be able to clean clean slated uh this spring so i'm interested in how it goes because obviously honestly I, I believe he was ranked ahead you know all those lefties who who made their days last year 2021 and book um and that was because orioles you know truthfully believed he was better than a lot of those guys and he will have opportunity. He will be on a pretty level playing field with all those guys. You know, the fact that he's not really getting mentioned in, in any of these conversations, rattling, rattling off, you know, a half dozen guys who are, who have been in triple a and can be pitching in the big leagues this year. Like that's, that's the consequence, I guess, of, of him falling off the way he did. But I don't know that it's, be, I don't know that that's also going to be the reason why you shouldn't consider him going forward. I have to imagine that when you're putting these lists together and you're dealing with players like that, like the line you just talked about between, legitimate issues that maybe can be solved versus excuses. That yeah. has to be tough to figure out where it is sometimes, I would imagine. It is. Uh, it is. I think that, um, you know, in past, you know, in the past, you know, Orioles front office, like there was a lot of like sides to, to everything. You know, there were people who like players uh, that were drafted by the team and traded for by the team. 
people who didn't and there were certain things and you just didn't know what you were going to get. I, th- I think now you kind of know what you're going to get. And I think that, I think that there's, I think there's an understanding of like what will be the, um, what am I trying to say? Of like what will be, what is an appropriate something to you know, like sometimes I ask like, Hey, what happened? I, I have no idea. They will say, I have no idea what happened, you know? And that's, that's, that's a problem. Like, could you say, Oh, maybe this happened or maybe it's like, so, so, uh, you know, he is dealing with something at home. There's a million reasons anything could happen. And sometimes you just don't know. And like, sometimes you do know. And if it's like, Oh, if it, you just have to kind of weigh it in your mind, like what the reason is and, and, uh, and kind of see but at the end of the day, we're talking about we're talking about like something that may not have a huge bearing future performance. Um, you know, if somebody just loses X zone for a month, he hasn't lost it forever. And I think that's the to look for. You have to look at the pitches, you have to look at the overall body of work and what that could be, you know, at the big league level. And just because somebody like Kevin Smith you know, had had, you know, a really tough end to the season, uh, it's really unfortunate, but it's not something that you are going to, you know, completely off for. So we'll turn our attention back to some of the players the Orioles have acquired internationally. And you just touched on them a few minutes ago, which is Michael Hernandez and Samuel Basayel. Uh, you talked about how both of them have such advanced plate approaches, good plate discipline for their age, and both of them are inside the top 15 on this list. So what are you hearing about them that would warrant putting them this high at this point? I think I think that it's you know it's really an upside play, um, and, and the same way that it all I guess these are on the way. It's, so first of all, it's an upside play. Like if these players paint the way that you know the Orioles and and by virtue of how much they signed for the industry, um, you know think they will. These are going to be legitimate like figures. Um, they are valuable for a number of reasons. They're valuable for what they can bring to the organization on the field. They're valuable for what they get the organization in trades um, if, if they decide to go that route and, and they're supremely talented. You know, these are, you know, these players are identified for a reason because they're very good um, at very young ages. And, and I think when you look at some, a team like the Orioles specifically, they are very attuned to what they can work with. You know, we talk about, when we talk about players, um, you know, play discipline and pitch ret- recognition being, Precocious that usually comes with being able to put the bat on the ball. Um, and while it takes showcase type power, if it takes batting practice type power to get signed um, as a national, it's harder to translate that into games for some people. And I think I heard, and what I was told about these players specifically was that as the season went on, you know, it was more consistent hard contact. And when you hear about players that the Orioles like, that the Orioles are high up. Excuse me. It's because you know, as the season goes, on, as their careers are going on, they're hitting the ball hard more often. They're hitting the ball hard and in the air more often. It's not, you know, it's not just hard contact. Somebody like Kobe Mayo, who couldn't, be, who had trouble elevating the ball as as an amateur, and comes in, and they change a few things, and now everybody loves Kobe Mayo. The same types of things were happening in the DSL with with these players. So I think that that is. Um, I think that's the that is the main reason. And, and truthfully, there's just like a little bit of like sausages made. Like you know, if somebody get if somebody's a first round pick and they're a good player, like they're going to be ranked in an organization's top five, no matter what. And it's just a matter of what. And if you sign for seven figures, um, you're going to be still you're going to be pretty highly in an organization. So so that's like you know that's a less you know that's a less answery way of answering it. But you know that's. <laughs> It, that's where it is, but that's a, that's something. Truthfully, I never really had to deal with. Her. Um, these were plopped into this year's uh, rankings around uh, sometime in the spring. Uh, that's when they put like the most recent round of international signings in. So that the Orioles signed in January, they will go into the rankings, and be able to slot them where they think appropriate in in a month or so. I would say. And you know. Baseline for me because I've never really had to compare a 16, 17 year old player in the DSL to a, a college draftee who was traded for Michael Givens and played, you know, a really good season in Bowie. Like, 
how do you compare that? What do you, what do you it's apples to oranges to, to use a cliche. And it's also really hard because you don't, unless you're down in Florida, for instance, you don't get to see this too. All right. Speaking of that, well, let's find out where you would have slapped these guys. Um, that was my next question. A guy like Braylon Tavera, who set the record for amount of money again, it seems like that's just going to keep happening year after yeah. year. 1.7 million. Leandro Arias, who Fangraphs has all the way up at, I think, number 12 already. And Cesar Prieto, who was uh, performed pretty well in the Cuban League and seems pretty polished for a guy. He's not one of these 16-year-old guys. Where would yeah. you slot like those three guys if if you were forced to do so right now? Oh, boy. All right. Let me look at this. Um, I would say in a general range, you're talking – I mean, it's really wide – to say like 11 to 25, but I think that's the kind of area you're going in. Um, I think that there are international scientists who can like right into an organization's top 10. Not sure if any of these will qualify, but I think that, I think that it just speaks to, you know, the caliber of players that they're selecting, that that is a possibility that we're talking, you know, and these guys are into, you know, realistically the top, top 25, um, so truthfully, I don't have an answer. Um, I would need to look into it more, but, but I do think that I do think they would be ranked and I would actually be interested to see where they put somebody like Prieto because there are it's probably an easier comp. And I think that if you're hearing about, you know, if you see the type of player that he's at matches the description of what we've been, you know, hearing about him, he could be a like performer type and you want to high on, on those types of guys maybe a more reasonable way to ask is where would you rank those three between each other who would you put oh um, those one two three um i i think it would probably be in the order that, that you gave i think Tavera's probably the tops of the mm-hmm. uh the, probably the tops of the of the heap just by the amount of money um i was really interested to see some of the opinions of arias and and how it went um uh, i think that I think that as this you know, process goes on, I don't know how long it's going to be before there's an international draft. There's going to be one. I think that you're going to see like an Orioles type of player emerge, mm-hmm. and that player is going to be just hitter uh, in the Latin American market. I think that they are going. To, I think that you know we're going to see before long like what the pitchers they they acquire um, through those avenues are. It's a little harder to tell from our. Um, and I think that the Orioles like don't have as targeted a, a pitching preference as they do for a hitter. Like they they just like pitchers with stuff. Like doesn't matter what the stuff is, they just want you to have like good stuff. Like whatever your stuff is, just be good at it. Hitters like they like guys who make a lot of contact, who don't swing and miss all, um, who hit the ball hard in the air. And I think that. I think that when someone like Fangrass that has access to a lot of data, and also people with access to a lot of data, when they rank some high, it's because they're batted ball data from okay circuit from from the scouting circuits reads really favorably. I'm just projecting here, but I would assume that that the Orioles signed him, and that is why the Orioles, uh, you know, and then he ranks where he would in the Orioles system. And I think Brayto is one of those, you know, wild cards. The Orioles have had a checkered history of some, um, you know. 20, young 20-somethings from, from a, you know, with Daryl Alvarez, uh, Henry Arudia, you know, they got to the big leagues. I think I think Daryl Alvarez got to the big leagues. I don't remember for sure, though. Uh, I know Henry Arudia did. He hit that home um, But But, but you, it's just harder to – it's probably – to kind of – what's going to be until you see it um, domestically. So I would go in the order you gave as a long answer to a question. <laughs> Switching back to uh, stateside players that have uh, progressed pretty high up in the system already um, and pitchers with stuff. Uh, my only issue with the top 30 list is that um, I don't see Brandon Young. And so I'm assuming he's number 31 if you were to stretch this out a little bit. Am I right in, in assuming that? Yes, uh, I believe so. I did do, I think he's 32 actually. Um, I did do, and I only that because I think. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I believe B.A. did some companions. Like, here's somebody from outside the top 30 of each of these orgs who could break out. Um, and he was 
he was 30 because they highlighted him as 32. Um, I could bring that up as we're, as we're, as we're going through another question, but, but yeah, I think that, I think that that is like a true breakout candidate. They might've actually singled him out because I might've like circled him as the one to like, Hey, this is the guy who's going to break out. Um, I, I think that him more than most um, is the, is the biggest difference between the, uh, the stuff you saw and the stuff, that the Orioles believe is in there and can be. Um, and that was one of those where without having as many people died who, who, who felt as strongly as the Orioles did, you know, it was just had to leave out. Um, I know that there's probably inside the organization that aren't happy about that. Um, but I feel like there's just it's going to be, you know, there's going to be an opportunity for him to prove them right. And to prove what he is. I think that, in the same way that a lot of Orioles pitchers didn't get to benefit being able to use full stuff because of the innings limits that they were on um, and, and just the deliberate way that pitchers were built up and used. My sense was that the Orioles believe there will be an uptick in, in what he's able to do when he's able to pour into games and kind of build that arm strength up because he's a horse. He's a big dude. <laughs> and that's a pitcher who, who you know can get stronger as the game goes on? Who can who can you know, overpower hitters early and then get them up later? You know, type of stuff that you kind of project as you're looking at what Grayson Hernandez or Grayson Rodriguez was going to do. Um, as you know, if he was a face hitters the third time last year, I think that Brandon kind of in that same category where there is that potential because of the circumstance he was pitching in under under in 2021. Um, is where that you know, that gap in what he could be versus what he was um, came. But, yeah, you know, I'm sure if I went back and looked at the grades too, it's a matter of having like 30, 31, 32. They're probably all the same. Don't I have no idea who 31 was. I'm going to look that up right now. <laughs> I know that makes for bad audio. <laughs> Actually, I don't have a story, so this will take me a two. <laughs> We are waiting on pins and needles. I know that. I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I just love it. Brandon Young is yeah, Brandon Young is just Mike. I don't know what it was. I can't pinpoint exactly, but as soon as the Orioles announced that signing, I remember trying to find a video. He had like one of his college starts from that pandemic season up on his college website. It was still archived, and I watched it and just fell in love instantly. So I, I'm loving what you're saying about him, and I, I love that the Orioles are, are seem to be high on him as well. Yeah, and he was somebody that you heard about even through – um, you know, through camp, fall national camp in 2020, or like this, this guy, this guy. Um, I really tried a bunch of times to get out to see him. Um, just never worked out. Um, and, you know, truthfully, that's, that's, you know, that's part of this too. <clears throat> if I'm hearing inside the organization that he's XYZ and people outside, like I didn't really that. Um, if you yourself, you can kind of judge a little bit closer as to, you know, what you want to believe in and what you want to put your name on. And he was another guy that as much as I had to get out to see him, I just, but like I said, you know, to prove me wrong, let me, this is not good. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Do not worry about it. Just so I could give away the, 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 uh, the extra, um, the extra 10 players that I ranked here. I'm sure you'll appreciate it though. Oh, I'm talking yeah. to people. Who, I'm sure I'm sure I'm talking to people who get it. Absolutely. Guys who get it. Let's go. All right. Seven. Getting out my two fact Apple iCloud authentication <laughs> on a live broadcast. Is that smart? <laughs> <laughs> it, it hasn't started asking you to identify street lights yet. Has it? <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. No, where's the fire hydrant? Um, Any oh, guesses well, for 31, Vivek says? We can kill time by guessing who it's going to be. Uh, I will say Zach Peak, since I just wrote about him. I'll, I'll, I'll go with him. Zach Peak. I'm going to go with the other Zach. Say Zach Watson. I don't, okay. think, I don't think he's on the top. No, he didn't crack the top 30 here. Um, and as we're talking about this, like, every single guy talking about in – in years past is on these like yeah. it's crazy about Zach Watson. It was in 2020 guy <laughs> not being not being here. Uh let's see yeah. this. <laughs> I got to it guys. I got to it. Zach, what's your guess? Um 
Ooh, I'm going to go with Zach Watson as well. You guys be right. Um, I don't think I'm allowed to guess, but I also don't remember, so it would truly be a guess. <laughs> Feel free to get this out. This is just – No, this, this is saying in for sure. Okay. Give <laughs> right. it in. Scrolling. 25, 30. Oh, we're all wrong. So I wrote up. I don't know how that's going to work. They had me do an extra player. They had me do a report, and I put and I had Daryl Hernandez as the full report. That was the extra player. But okay. I, I like can that. respect that. Yeah, definitely. But then it had me list the next ten prospects starting at number one, and I put Brennan Hanafy there. I know Nick loves that. Love that's it. his boy. Love it. So. I, I'm very curious how that worked out. I'm looking at it now. It will mean that Hernandez just isn't in there at all, which is unfortunate. But but it's all March, so what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. The ten that I put were Hannafy, Brandon Young, Watson, um, Michelle Don, Luis Gonzalez, Zach Peak, Felix Batista, Robert Newsom, Cody Sedlock, Dante Williams. All those Could've, names make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Great audio, like I said, fantastic live <laughs> experience for, for the listeners and the viewers. Um, now I feel really bad because I might have, I don't know, I don't know how that. I hope they caught that. <laughs> I think they yeah, got it. And worth look, the wait, yeah. You know, we've all had like our on-air things that probably should have been edited out that wouldn't, that weren't. So this is staying in. This was gold. Yeah. Now all you're right. really part of the club. <laughs> wait. You. So, um, oh, there we are, Joey Ortiz. Um, Joey Ortiz is, you know, coming back from an injury right now, and we know that the defense has always been really good. The reports about his defense now coming off the injury are really good. Um, if he's healthy this year, could you see him picking up and really rising up midseason list? I, I think so. I, uh, you know, it had continued to have the season that he having last year. Um, he would have continued to to he would be even higher than he is as I'm, I'm I guess I'm like a Kyle Flowers type path where you kind of you know you spend the first month or so in, in green and then you go to Bowie for three and a half months and then you know you pack your bags up with Adley and you go to Norfolk for the last month of the season like that would have been him We're talking about those guys as guys who are on the verge of Sorry, <laughs> we're on the first, yeah, yeah, free advertising. Who who are on the cusp of being in the leagues and um, in athletes, you know, possibly being on the opening day roster. So I think that that is, you know, and I think that what it's like the Orioles are kind of viewing these guys is like if you hurt, like that's obviously like you're not going to get punished for that. But if you know that you are performing at the level that you were before, you don't have to like you know repeat great. You know, when you talk to someone like, you know, Michael Elias talking about Hall, like if he's throwing strikes, he's in the big leagues because that's his, that would have been the case if he was healthy all last year. And I think that some of Joey Ortiz, who they really like, who would be a truthfully a very, um, very emblematic, I guess, success story for this player development department that they're trying to, you know, trump it up and fear. I think that, I think that someone like him, you know making his debut, have really good starts this season, being higher on prospect lists is, you know, in part, in he'll, A, he'll deserve it, but B, the Orioles will want that to happen too. Yeah, that's a good point. And I loved hearing Elias say that about D.L. Hall. I mean, it just proves that, you know, they're not just going to stick to baselines with, uh, if they think someone's ready, they'll, they'll have them up, at least now that they're kind of turning the corner a little bit, trying to be more competitive. Yeah, I um, mean, they were cognizant of, like, wasting bullets, like a couple of weeks into the season last year like with him and like, you know, they, they were very much with Grayson Rodriguez for good reason, because they think he's really good and they want to make sure that he's really good in the big league sooner rather than later. Um, but, you know, I think that, I think they knew, you know, I think they're not really the waste and bullets type. I think they know what they have in those guys and, you know, they need to see it at Harbor Park for very long. Now, here's a question just more about just making a 
top 50, top 30 list in general, we found that even though no games had been played from the end of the 2021 minor league season to the time we updated our top 50 list about a month or so ago, that we had way more changes than you might expect just from, you know, no baseball being played. And you did your list shortly after the season ended. If you, you know, had more time, if you had done it in January or February, you think your top 30 would be any different? Probably, possibly. Um, I think that, you know, I think parts of, of my list being due at BA when it is, um, the bad part is usually, or it was usually that it was like the end of the season and I was just like really tired and I, you know, I'm still covering this. I'm like, it was just a lot of stuff to do. Um, but the good news this part of my mind was that I was operating completely fresh. Um, you know, there are some mid season up- updates, you know, a, you know, MLB.com will do it after the draft. There's some here and there, you know, people, people do refresh their lists and people do do updates, but I feel like it was a clean reset for me. And it really, that's really valuable to me. Um, I don't like when I know I have to do something to, um, to like the, it already done, like see someone else's version of it. Um, there was a very young profile, Adley Rutschman written um, early in 2019 that I was like, I'm going to have to write a story about Adley Rutschman at some point. So I'm just not going to. Um, and like, there's like, you know, I, I just don't influence at all like that. So I, that, I think that there might've been changes, um, but that would have been through being able to talk to people more. Um, you know, somebody like Kobe may always saw it on the last one. I was just like, I'm going to be the guy who puts the top you know, on my flag there. And like, everybody like passed my flag. They're like, that's nice. I got a six. And like, what are you gonna? In October, I thought like based on what he had been doing at the time, that, and, and like where he was in his development, like behind, um, you know, maybe behind the development curve, considering he played a half season um, after missing all of twenty twenty. I don't know if I didn't value the results enough. I don't know if the results were valued elsewhere. I don't know if the hype just started building. Um, but it, you know, it happens and it happens over the course of an off season. It happens as more and more lists come out where you look back and I like, oh, did I do that? Should I have done that? And then, and, and you kind of go from there, but I'm sure there would have been, you know, but to answer your question, but I really like the part where, where I, I knew that you know, a lot of things have happened since, you know, the big lists have been updated and that gives me kind of clearance the, to, to write it as I see fit. Yeah, I like that answer. Uh, just looking at the system as a whole, and now you as, as more in this fan role, you get to sit back, enjoy minor league baseball a little bit more. Um, outside of the obvious names like Adley, Grayson, D.L. Hall, Gunnar Henderson, are there guys in this system that you are personally really excited to follow this year? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really interested um, just in general, like go down to Del Mar at some point early in the year and see what a team full of like twenty-year-old international signings look like. I've seen Orioles affiliates play against them, but I've never seen, I've never you know had the to pay attention to them like you would if they were wearing you know the Orioles, uh, the Orioles you know affiliates colors. So really lame way to say that. Yeah, I think that's going to be really fascinating. Like how, like how that transition goes and and how. Um, you know, some of these players look as, as the season goes on. Um, I think that I'm fascinated to see who of the that kind of mess of pitchers that spent most of the year in like Delmarva and, and Aberdeen, like who makes a jump and is really like, okay, like thanks for babying me last year, but like it's my day and I'm going sick, like you know, it's gonna be good. Um, because I think the Orioles are really anticipating. Seeing who does, I think they have a lot of ideas of who that could be. Um, I, I'm really interested to see what um, the two T pitchers are able to do. Um, I know we spoke to Carter Bond, um on Zoom last week, whenever that was. Uh, kind of, all that stuff kind of got buried uh, because of block. He said he was you know, pretty much full go. Uh, I don't know that I've seen anything on 
Hanafi, but I'm really, you know, interested to see what what's going on there. I know that the Eagles were really, really excited with, you know, how he came into spring training last year and all the work he was able to do at home. I think there's a lot. It's it's, it's mostly pitching side. Um, to to be quite honest, I think that I think that there's going to be a lot of good performances that drafted just by virtue of them drafting good college hitters. Um, those types of guys will sort them out. You'll know who's good because they will hit well. Um, but but it's pitchers that really are be of the focus for me is this year. That's a good point about Delmarva because I think that the idea of a low-A roster that's full of 20-year-old international signees and other organizations is not that unusual in this day and age. But for the Orioles, pretty much unprecedented. And now you're going to have it at Delmarva this year. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I think that there's a lot to gain from getting that experience for those players who are just like, you know, hey – we're playing every day, and it's going to be hard. You're going to do it, um, and I think that there's also a lot of value to to be able to see, you know, the potential. You see the potential on the. I remember when I used to do, um, when I used to do Red Sox minor league stuff. There used to be like four guys who were signed to stops on like every team, and they were all, you know really talented and really athletic and you could dream on them and, and everyone could dream on them. Scouts would dream on them and they'd come in and trade for them. And, you know, people who watch the games would to see what kind of talent out there. And I think that, I think that it's going to be a really unique situation down there that, that I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in, in seeing how it goes. Yeah. It does seem like that's when a player can really explode onto a scene is going from FCL to full season ball. Like I know, Julio Rodriguez, Christian Robinson, those types of players. You didn't really hear too much about them until they hit full season ball and just exploded. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and that's, you know, and just by, by, by virtue of opening up this avenue to acquiring talent, the Orioles are opening up the possibility that it could happen with them. All it takes is one player to make a whole international program. You know, the, the, like the Nationals spent a lot of money on Victor Robles and he turned out pretty well he's a big leaguer but like also Juan Soto like that's that's all you like when everyone asks yep. what what we're doing this for like you just say hey, that guy that guy's why we're doing this so we'll um go over to the new collective bargaining agreement now and the fact that the lockout is over you wrote about the lockout uh over at your newsletter it, just kind of general thoughts now that the lockout is behind us about sort of the state of baseball and what you see in the CBA that you maybe like or you don't like? Yeah, I mean, it was very weird, uh, to be perfectly honest. Like, you know, to give a teacher, I survived my first work stop in football. Um, it, it was just a very bizarre, you know, thing to see happening. I was really heartened by by the, uh, the way that, like, the players' stances were represented um, in the media and how they represent themselves, um, you know, that's just like a large scale. But I think that, I think that the gains that players made in trying to uh, increase like minimum salaries and get players paid earlier, um, get, have more money able to young players. I think all that fantastic. I think those are gains that will, you know, serve the union very well going forward and it's dropping the bucket for MLB and the team. So like they shouldn't have been fighting it as hard as they, they were. But I, but I, I think that I'm one of those like, Oh, tanking is bad people. Obviously <laughs> I covered the Orioles and I didn't that as it was happening. So I can't really say that now. Um, but I do wonder, um, I do wonder if the system that been abused for so long, um, if anything really happened to change that, frankly, um, the Bills, you know, if this is the year that, you know, Manny Machado and Adam Jones and Zach Britton and all those guys were about to hit free agency and the Orioles were staring down the face of tearing everything down and, and rebuilding again, um, I'm sure they would probably do it in a very similar way. Um, and if, even if they had this exact office, they'd be like, sure. Um, we could pick ninth year, but like, Sometimes we player that the world thinks is the ninth best player. So what do we like? What does it matter? Uh, we're just going to take these players that we think are good, and it doesn't matter 
um, if, if they would have been ticked first eight picks because we're going to take the guy we think is good. We're going to use our bonus pool, you know, as best as we can, and we're going to, um, you know, trade players for younger players and not have a high payroll. I don't think that those things are going to change. Uh, I think what's really fortunate for the Orioles perspective, and I've been trying my best to find a way to articulate this in letter without sound. Like I'm just like completely bought in. It's like I really do think that they're past the point of like rebuilding. I wonder if you are if we need like a new word for it. Like they're not yet, obviously. They're not gonna be going out and getting like some big time starting pitcher, but like I don't think you can say that they are rebuilding right now. So none of this applies to them. I think they are um somewhere in I do think there's going to be um there's going to be another Orioles and I think if one of the minorities of this work stoppage was to make it that can't happen again. Obviously the league doesn't care that these things happen and ultimately they didn't do a lot to change it. Yeah. The one thing us and I'm sure a lot of Oriole and baseball fans in general are hoping for is to curb the service time manipulation. And they kind of tried to make an effort to do something about that with, uh, you know, if you finish in the top two in the rookie of the year voting, you get your year back. Or if you finish in the top three and you started the year with the team, then the team gets a draft pick. Do you think this is enough to keep Adley Rutschman um, from having to go back to the minor leagues to start the season to get that extra year? Or what do you think about that? I I, I have wondered as, you know, it's gotten further away from just like the rush of detail. It's like a pick after the competitive round. If, if you – somebody up for the full award is that something i saw you get a draft pick that's basically like 30s or is I that second so. balance round because if it's after the first like that's really valuable um i i do wonder like how the orioles would weigh like getting another pick especially if it happens like so next year they're going to be in round b they're going to be in the 70s you get like you know what 800 grand for that value so if they are like okay we can you know, be losing, you know, potential, you know, 30 Adley Rutschman time or whatever year that would be that he's, you know, free, whatever, but you could have, we can have an extra like $1.2 million in our draft pool in a year that we might be picking a little bit of first. Like, that makes a huge difference. Um, I'm not sure that that makes enough difference, but I think that that's probably the calculation they're making right now. Also should know um, better or like more firmly like where draft pick is, but, but I know that, I know that there could be like significant, like for them to, to do that on the draft pick. I don't know if it's enough, but I think that it could move the needle. Do you think the rule five, you know, that's, that's a favorite uh, of Orioles fans, uh, yeah. but do you think losing the major league phase of the rule five draft, do you think that hurts or, or helps the Orioles or it, it doesn't really matter that much this year? Um, it's probably, it's probably a wash. Um, I like Orioles fans who care about 05 draft probably would have gotten really that, um, if people got taken away from the Orioles too in that. Um, so, so it's kind of just a, it's kind of a, you know, a wash. I, I think that there would have been, um, I'm sure would have been interesting players. I'm sure they spent more time than they ever would have imagined. Um, uh, getting ready for it considering they probably thought it was going to happen and have a ton else to do. Um, but you know, imagine if they, if they're just like some like can't miss days had like a real catching backlog. I don't remember how they resolved it, but I know they were like, they had like really like highly touted catchers and they had one off virtue of, you know, you can't have like a million catchers on your 40. Sure. Let's not have a rule five draft. But if the aura, we need to have this guy and like, we need to add this talent to our system and like, we're going to have this catcher on the route all year, but also Adley's going to start, Adley Rushman's going to start in Norfolk, and, like, it's going to be this, like, awkward thing where, like, we're doing this thing for the long-term future and also, like, not having Adley Rushman. Weird stuff like that. Um, huge difference, you know, no. There's not a Tyler Wells in every uh, in every draft. There's not a Garrett Whitlock draft. I think this would have been the last year. Um where you can kind of like get some of those pandemic benefits that team really got in 2020. Um, but I think it's going to wash. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, your newsletter 
is always a, a highlight whenever it shows up. I wake up, first thing I do is check my email. Oh, John wrote a, one of his newsletters. First thing I'm going to do is read that, especially during the lockout when there was absolutely nothing going on. That was like a, a godsend. What yeah, has been, you. what has transitioning to that been like for you versus when you were writing for the paper? Um, it's, it's, it's starting to feel different now versus, uh, you know, January and February, I was basically doing the same things that I would be doing in a normal off season, you know, as, as working at the sun, you know, those times, you know, I'd put on and it'd be like nighttime. I'd like, oh, I have to write something for the morning. And I figure it, um, now I just have to less often and I have a freedom as to what that is. Um, content wise, I feel like, I feel like I'm still to write the story like to write and report um types of stories um i'm grateful to have maintained the access that i have um to those players and coaches that can really benefit um analysis wise i feel like i'm able to try different things um you know i don't know if i was more than beat writer working at the newspaper of record i would have been able to be like isn't it funny that like orioles twitter thanks carlos Chris <laughs> for the orioles and they keep like, spamming the orioles account every time they something and say, hey, when it's Carlos Correa, it's, it's really funny. I don't know that I would have been able to write about that at the Baltimore Sun. Um, that's it. It's this week. Um, you know, not be thirst. Um, I'm trying to figure out what the newsletter could or should like uh, at this time because, you know, the reality is during the season, we be able to go to Camden Yards and run a minor league game. I'm going to keeping up of reporting and analysis that I – want it to be, um, but without being able to be there, um, without knowing, you know, quite frankly, but like other people are on, like, I don't want to like have the Orioles like set up an interview with someone and then read that, like, you know, read that to the media because they're all there um, because there's not, this is about delivering value um, to readers and trying to raise that they can't, find anywhere else and if i'm you know i don't want to i don't want to you know i want to you know i try to I don't want to be stuck doing things that people are doing so so it's it's gonna be a weird month you know perfectly honest people should subscribe obviously but i really don't know what it's gonna look like this month i, I don't know it'll be more shorter thing like recapping what's actually happened in spring training with some takes on it it's experimental but it's been really fun um, and i really appreciate everyone including you guys who's following and um putting that out there um it's been really it's been really neat that there's still an audience for it uh you know i i'm not a brand um i'm not i haven't been around nearly as long as anybody who's done this uh else who's done this on girls beat um but but it was nice to it was nice to realize that people had an interest even if it wasn't under the baltimore sun's banner yeah, I don't know who's listening to this that isn't already subscribed. But if you're if you're listening and you're not, what are you waiting for? Go do it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, free. I never mentioned that it's free. Um, I don't know that it'll be free forever. Um, That's fine. But I never mentioned that it's free now, and I shouldn't even say that it's not going to be free later. It's free now. It's free now. Um, and good deal. That's a really good deal. Agreed. You know, I was. Yeah, I've been reading your newsletter you know, every day that it comes out. One of my favorite pieces of yours you wrote recently was a case against the Orioles going with their usual path of stockpiling minor league free agent pitchers right as we come up to camp. And that's something we've seen them do time and time again in the last few years. And now here we are, spring training has started, and that speculation seems to be coming back around a little bit. So I wanted to get your yeah. thoughts on that and what you think the Orioles should be doing right now. Well, my thoughts are that they should uh, not sign those types of players. Um, and I haven't – I feel like it's only – I'm not sure if it's, like, selectively seeing it, but I feel like I've seen, like, a couple of, of the, like, you know, kinds of pitchers that girls would sign to, like, maybe you could be in our rotation deals um, getting signed elsewhere. But, like, the guys are getting, like, a half a million if they're in the big leagues versus, like, the Orioles standard, like – you can have a million dollars. You make our rotation. You're probably going to make our rotation. Um, you know, I, I feel like I, I feel like if that if that's going right, then the Orioles really shouldn't be. Yeah, you know, then they should just search for somebody who they believe is going to be better. That's actually part of what um, what will be part of tomorrow's news. Like, but I think that especially, and this is a big if, 
um, especially if it seems like Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall are close to being candidate to pitch in the big league rotation, Michael Ives they are. Um, you, those types of, you know, there's not a ton of value in those minor league agent types. Um, I do think that the Orioles wanted to I think if there was a move to make in this offseason uh, in terms of free agents, I do think that there's like a handful of guys who might require another Jordan Lyles track, maybe require a little bit more, maybe give them a bigger option for 2023. But I think that the Orioles would be in a really good spot if they did. Do I think they're going to? Um, not really, but I think they should. I think that if you have John Mean and you have what they believe Jordan Lyles would be, and then, you know, I think like a list of, like, you know, a Danny Duffy, a Michael Pineda, you know, like a Matt Boyd or something like that. Like those guys at the top of the list that are going to come big league deals, if you have them in place and then you add, you know, a Grayson Rodriguez to the mix, one of those guys who are who was up and down last year steps up, like all of a sudden that's like a competent rotation. And you're going to have a competent lineup. Um, you're going to have a lineup that gets better as the year goes on. So that's that's where I would go. I would I would you know, I, most of the but most of the that I write I I believe and and that one I really believe that like you know there's just no point in like signing those guys who like it's like been a couple of years since they're but like now but they're going to be in the Orioles. There's no real no real benefits to that. Anymore. Um, I don't know if Bob or Zach had any other questions, but. Uh... Now that we're here, one of your I think it was one of your most recent posts as well uh, in the newsletter was about kind of how to uh, cut through the, the verbiage that we're going to hear uh, over spring break. Uh, now that sp- spring training, spring break, uh, spring break's going on right now. I guess my mind's there. Um, but spring training, um, what what kind of storylines are, are you most excited for now that spring training games are just a couple of hours away now? I'm really fascinated to see how all the players, all those, like, you know, 2019 for lack of a better term, um, plus Keegan Aiken, I'm really fascinated to see how that group shakes out and is regarded and how they're used in spring training because that will say a lot about how they're going to be, you know, where they're going to start. Or the Orioles think they're going to have a chance to be on the team early or, you know, if somebody's throwing, like, one-inning stints early, it's because they're going to go to Meyerly camp and get built up because the season starts a little later. Um, you know, I'm really interested to see how the outfield dynamic is. Um, interested to see like what Anthony Santander looks like. I think that he, he had physical issues before. Um, he had him last year, and I think it accounts for a lot of the struggles had. But I think I think somebody who probably Probably be back to the guy that he was. Uh, I'm interested to see, like, I'm just always fascinated by John Means. He's hard on himself. He thinks he's the worst pitch in the world. And he's like, like three runs and like five plus innings. And he's like, I, I stunk out there. I didn't have anything. And you're like, all right, come on, buddy. Um, but, but, I, but I think that, I think that over the course, obviously, you know, hitter, he was one of the best pitchers in baseball early in the season. I think that he really has a feel um, now of like what the best version of himself is. And I, Wonder if he's just going to go out and be that again. A lot of things, but I, I'm glad that it seems like there's a ton of like roster competition this year. Um, I know to the extent that that's true, it just doesn't feel like it. Um, I know that like the patient's settled and like honestly, like once you get past like a fourth name in the bullpen, you're you're talking about guys that like most people don't know who they are. So like where where's the argument going to be between like the seventh bullpen guy? Um, so, so I think that it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, just a straight, like, here's like what you should pay attention to versus like, who's going to be the fifth fielder type camp. And truthfully, I'm really excited to read, um, you know, what Nathan's going to do down there, having club access for the first time in two years. Um, the rest of the beats, Axel, the new MLB.com reporter. Uh, I just think that like, and that's what I'm most excited for. I'm excited to like read stories and be like, oh, like I know how that came about. I can imagine how it came about and like awesome and good for them. <laughs> it was like, you know, versus like the day stuff. 
Sounds well, John, good. We really appreciate you coming on tonight. Um, can you tell our listeners where, number one, uh, how to find your newsletter and then uh, when they can expect to see or read the Prospect Handbook? Yeah, yeah. So um, the newsletter is through Substack. Um, I tweet out everything on my Twitter, John Mioli. I think it's substack.mioli.com or John Mioli, substack.com. But just go to my Twitter just to be sure. Um, toss your email. It's free. If you have Gmail, it goes promotions uh folder sometimes so if you don't if you subscribe and don't see it look there uh, it even goes to my promotions folder sometimes which is kind of uh weird um uh, and as for the handbook i believe it's been printed um i don't know it will be shipped but um but i do remember there was, there was digital edition offered to two people who purchased it through ba um and it should be landing in people's mouths shortly if it hasn't already well, John, we really appreciate you coming on. Bob, Nick, any final thoughts or questions? I could talk to John for another two hours. I mean, this is great. So, yeah, thanks for coming on. Always thanks for having it. me. Are we going to get chirped from my internet? Probably. <laughs> no, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. All right. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, <laughs> right. at all. Um, so... We'll be back next week with a new episode. In the meantime, continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verge. Um, and check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for all the latest articles. And be sure to join the message board there to interact with readers and writers on the site. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens and our guest John Mioli, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.